Uh, Kevin, you're here with us. I have a question for you. Do you plow your own driveway? <laughs> I do. <laughs> and it's been lots of it lately. You do? Okay. Do you have a snowblower or are you doing it by shovel? All, all by shovel. Yeah. My wife questions that strategy, actually. But uh, yes, all by shovel. Well, if she's not busy, she can come and shovel my driveway if you're doing it. <laughs> Hanson, what about you? Do you help around the house at all? Do you do your own laundry or cook or anything? Well, I do my own laundry, but I, I don't cook much, no. Uh, not in recent years, anyway. What you do do is uh, you give us a show every week, and we're going to roll out another one right now. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. It's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, then. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Week of January 18th. Welcome to Inside Curling, folks. We want to recognize all of our sponsors. Thank you to them, Sports Interaction. They bring you what's happening around the curling world, and there is a lot happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Uh, we've got a bunch of emails that we get each and every week. Uh, Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. As I say, uh, they're sizzling this week. A bunch of reaction from people and stuff. Uh, Kev, you've always got a story for us. Storytime, sponsored by Meridian. And we've got a guest in the house. Is brought to you by Goldline this week. Emma Miskew uh, is going to be our guest. And maybe she can tell us how it all ended up that she's going to be in the Scotties. Uh, we want to thank everyone for your emails. We'd love to get them inside curling at gmail.com. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, what's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. You got to be 18 and gamble responsibly. The decision on the mixed doubles team for the Olympics came through last Friday, and certainly not a surprise that John Morris and Rachel Holman were named the team that's going to represent us. Uh, Kev, can you try and explain all this to us? You know, it's funny. Um, I've been asked a lot if that was if it was the right decision. But the word right is kind of uh, an interesting word. Um, it tends to be kind of blurry. And uh, so is the right decision to give Team Canada the very best chance to podium finish? Is that right? If that were right, I would say that Jocelyn Peterman and, and Brett Gallant are probably your best choice. They're our best mixed doubles team. But would it be right for having, uh, you know, Brad Gushu questioning it, that his, his guy is going to be tired, or or for Jennifer Jones having her second be tired in Jocelyn? So maybe that's not right. Okay. So if that's not right, um, then probably the right team would have been Nancy Martin and Tyrell Griffith, who... Uh, Great, a fantastic team, no question about that, and mixed doubles. But is that our, as far as Team Canada goes, the best chance to podium? Well, probably not because they don't have a lot of international experience. So that lessens a chance. Okay, so then you look at John and Rachel, the 
tons of international experience, great players. John's had success in mixed doubles before. So is that the right choice? Well, it seems like it, that came kind of came out of sort of nowhere because they're not really that high ranked. They haven't played together a lot lately, but they're a good choice as far as trying to get on the podium. So Warren, it's uh, it's blurry. <laughs> the lines are blurry. You know, how, how do you come to that choice? I guess you just sort of weigh out all the different uh, possibilities, you know, and, uh, and, and you pick a team and that's what they did. And, but boy, was it right? I don't know. I'm not even sure there is a right answer to that question. I think that's the issue. What is the right answer? I, I think Curling Canada could have helped themselves a lot if they'd sort of put out a directive when all this started to happen as to what they were going to be considering with regard to the selection. And when it's come out to be fairly clear, and certainly when we talked to Mark Kennedy last week as to what they were considering with regard to this selection, it makes a lot of sense because not only were they looking at the team that probably had the best chance of meddling, and remember the funding agencies own the podium and the Canadian Olympic Committee are involved here too. So they would have had some concern with what's the best chance of meddling. So I think when you take all these things in consideration, also the fact that they were looking for potential backups for the four-person teams. And with Rachel and John, if you take a look and analyze along with the other people that were in the backup roles, it would make a lot of sense that they would be the ones selected. And also it would appear that they looked at the mixed doubles record of uh, the teams during this past fall. And if you look at the record over the past few months, then John and Rachel were also very strong. So taking everything into consideration, as they seem to have done, I think they probably made the right move. But I think they could have helped themselves a lot if when this all started, they had said, these are the things we're going to be considering and looking at when we make this selection. Because what happened? There was a whole pile of people that just thought they were looking at the ranking only. And as you indicated, looking at the ranking only, it would have been Griffiths and Martin. And as a result of it not being done that way, a lot of people were, I would say, mildly annoyed. Kev, you had mentioned four or five teams here uh, that should be, would be, can they be. Um, so it it sounds like it's a bit of a coin toss, Kevin, to try and pick a team for the mixed doubles. Well, yeah, and that's the problem with picking a team. You know, that's why you need to play these things off. And unfortunately, with, with COVID, we just, it's been a problem. And, you know, they've done the best they can. But hopefully going into the future, we certainly never have to have a political group uh, pick a team because that's, that's always a, a, a recipe for disaster. But in this case, you know, I, I, they've picked a credible team that gives a chance to get on the podium. And, and of course, there are going to be arguments both ways. Yes, it's a good idea. It's a terrible idea and so on. And there's just nothing you can do about that when the athletes weren't on the, the field of play to battle it out. Who, who would you pick, Warren? Well, I think the decision that was made, now that I know everything that's being considered, was the right decision. Um, I, I think if you take a look over the field, those are two people that all the things I discussed as far as the criteria that probably fit the criteria the best. Curling Canada also announced last week that both the Briar and the Scotties will again be 18 teams. Uh, Warren, what's this all about? Uh, we suggested, you know, had a bunch of people weigh in on this over, over the last several weeks. Uh, and will the Scotties really happen? It's supposed to be in Thunder Bay. Uh, tough place to get to. There's a lot of factors here that could destroy uh, the Scotties happening. I think the big thing right off the top is, uh, as of the time of us doing this podcast, so this could change at any moment, the Ontario government still has not officially approved that event to happen. And I know Curling Canada is on pins and needles, and they're pretty annoyed the fact that it's been left <clears throat> this long to make this decision, but they do not have the green light yet from the Ontario government. So that's the big one, uh, as far as I'm concerned. However, increasing the field to 18 teams, of course, that's what they did last year, and they're going to do it for not just the Scotties, 
but also the briar. And I think this was done to a very large degree because as soon as uh, this whole thing with the Olympics mixed doubles team came to the forefront, uh, there was a lot of issues created, particularly in Ontario, with regard to wildcard teams and who was going to represent Ontario. So I think the quick and easy way out of it was simply to go back to the format that was used last year with the 18 teams. Frankly, uh, I think going forward, and I've said this many times, this whole Briar-Scotty structure at the moment has, has a lot of issues. And probably the one way that can, to some degree, put the lid on a lot of it is to go with this 18 thing uh, ongoing. And I think when I say 18 teams, I would eliminate Team Canada. I would have the 14 provinces and territories, and I'd just go then with the four highest ranks at a particular point in the year when they decide that that's going to be the decision day. I think that would help it a lot. But anyway, um, that's what's going to take place this year. There was... Um, a fair amount of confusion created in Ontario because, again, we don't understand this. We're going to talk to Emma later. Maybe she can explain it. As soon as Rachel was announced to be going to the Olympics, uh, the Holman team who had been named previously to represent Ontario with the Scotties was said, nope, you're not going uh, if Rachel's not there. And they named Holly Duncan as a team. So there for a few hours, the, uh, the Holman team didn't think they were going to go to the Scotties. And about two hours after the mixed doubles announcement, this is when the next announcement came that they were now going to have the 18 team format with three wildcard teams. And in the wildcard naming, Fleury, of course, number one in the world, she would be there for sure. Chelsea Carey is number two. And guess what? Who number three would be? Rachel Holman. So no sooner had the announcement been made that they weren't going and uh, a couple hours later that they were. The other interesting thing was, I guess they named Allison Flaxey as the alternate. We thought maybe she would be the skip of that team, but no, we're going to talk to Emma about that as well. She's now the skip. Sarah Wilkes is going to play third, and Allison Flaxey will go to second. And uh, Joanne Courtney will now be uh, continuing in the lead position. Also, we need to offer an apology for something we said last week about the Yukon, and that we had indicated that uh, Haley Burney was going to represent the Yukon, but had been appointed. But... Uh, we were advised this week by Patty Wallingham on that team. She sent us an email that said, said, no, they did have a playoff. It was a best of three, and they won two straight, took out Team EB, and uh, they were now going to be representing UConn, and uh, it had been a playoff. So we apologize for that mistake and uh, wish uh, the Bernie team good luck. Kevin, is there too many teams here? 18, what's, what's your take? Well, I think it's totally up to the people that run the event, how many teams they want to have in it. In this case, though, trying to keep up to all the situations that were popping up between uh, in all in everything uh, in the men's curling with Botcher trying to have uh, a third and who could play. And then the mixed doubles was a disaster. And, and you got the women's and uh, holy cow. And you know what? If, if you're the amount of bandages that they're trying to put on their, the cuts on their fingers, trying to figure this all out. They'd never be able to put a glove, a set of gloves on. There are so many bandages over bandages, over bandages, trying to figure this stuff out. And in the end, I guess they, I guess they somewhat appeased everybody, everybody they possibly could, I guess. Okay. Uh, on the world scene, the final qualification for the 2022 world championships is underway in Finland. Warden, uh, bring us up to speed there. Okay, so this is for the final spots for the men's and women's worlds. In the women's side, of course, the worlds is scheduled for Prince George March 19th to 27th. The seven teams battling out for two positions are the Czech Republic, Denmark, Latvia, Norway, Hong Kong, Brazil, and Finland. Kazakhstan had also qualified but are not attending. They said travel complications, but I suggest it's probably COVID. 
On the men's side, there's also going to be seven teams competing, again for two spots. The men's worlds will be in Las Vegas, April 2 to 10, hopefully. So on the men's side, the Netherlands, Russia, Spain, Turkey, Japan, Chinese Taipei, and Finland are playing. Again, Brazil was supposed to be there, but again, they claim are not attending because of travel complications. The playoff system they're going to use is pretty simple. It's going to be a round robin. And at the conclusion, the top two teams are going to go to the respective world championships that they're playing for. But interesting enough, before the event even started, two players on the Czech team tested positive for COVID. And as a result, that team has had to withdraw. Indication was there was one other person on a team that tested positive. They did not say which team it was, but apparently they're still able to continue with the one person testing positive. So this is going to be the challenge with all this stuff. I I look at uh, potential women's in Thunder Bay. They get these people in there without someone testing positive or a bunch of them testing positive, and then to keep that whole thing in sort of what I think they're looking at kind of a semi-bubble without somebody getting tested with this Omicron being so contagious, uh, I'm not sure how it, how it can be done, but uh, we'll see. If you only have one person go down, you've got your alternate one, but you know, if you get two or three people, what, are, are you out of the event, the forfeit? Uh, it'll be confusing. It, it becomes very, very messy, and uh, that, that's why I think it's I, – I, I'd love to see these events go ahead. I know everybody would, but it's just going to be so, so difficult. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, when you say Prince George, you know, the events now, the Worlds and the Scotties and Briars, they're at, they're at smaller centers than they were years ago. Um, tell me quickly, Warren, how does a, how does a city get – uh, the world. Is it a bidding process? Do you, do you put your name in and have to do a presentation or, or how are you selected? You ask a complicated question, Jim. So let's take a look at, we're looking at, let's look at Canada. Let's not talk about the rest of the world. So in Canada, uh, there's a men's or women's worlds held in Canada annually. They alternate back and forth, which most people are aware of. And uh, it's part of the season champions, which is a Canadian curling Canada owned property. And if you want to host an event uh, that's part of the season champions, which these worlds in Canada are, you put an application to uh, Curling Canada. And quite different from when I was there, we kind of went through a process of plotting things across the country and uh, determining this is the best place any given time for an event to go. It's now more or less a bidding process. And there's a fair amount of money coming forward these days from tourism authorities and the places that they're going into. So I'm not involved anymore, but pretty much from what I understand, it's whoever comes up with the best monetary position is the one that's awarded the event. Cash is king. Cash is king. Uh, Thanks a lot, uh, Sports Interaction. That uh, brings you up to speed on what's happening around the curling world. Hot Rock Topics now. Let's get to it. Brought to you by Coyote Tractor, proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, So here it is. Uh, There's been a lot of chatter this past week on our Facebook group about Rachel Homan and John Morris, which we just talked about, being named onto the Olympic team versus the pairing many felt should have been selected, Nancy Martin and Ty Griffith. Uh, because the Martin Griffith unit are number three on the ranking system behind two teams that were deemed ineligible because members of both teams are playing in four-person curling in the Olympics. Mixed doubles needs to be a major part of the curling structure in Canada going forward. How do we think Curling Canada should be looking at the whole mixed doubles structure in the years ahead? Well, hopefully we won't have COVID involved, which complicates it. But Warren, how should they do it going ahead through all what happened over the last couple of weeks? I think first and foremost, Curling Canada and the curling populace of Canada needs to embrace mixed doubles. And I, I get this feeling that it really hasn't still happened, even though this has now been with us for many years and it's now going into its second Olympics. 
that the curling populace overall in Canada and Curling Canada haven't fully embraced this. So it's kind of been a an afterthought, an add-on. I mean, your major competition, the season of champions, uh, the mixed doubles Olympic sports should be part of that. It's not. It's not part of that season of champions package. As far as how they schedule it, they schedule the trials over New Year's. Quite frankly, I, I can't see how we're taking something seriously when we're ca- scheduling a playoff for the Olympics over a holiday period and only just about one month prior to the Olympics, this whole thing happens. So that whole process, I I think, again, how we take a look at mixed doubles overall as far as the top competitive players and how we encourage and start to get more events happening, just that needs to be a whole overhaul done. And I think, again, that's a big room discussion where you get all the people involved in the room and you try and figure out a path forward for this event. But particularly at the high performance end, I think it's got to be taking more of the kind of same kind of role that four-person curling does. I think uh, a playoff for the Olympics, I'm not sure it should involve 20 teams. That's that's too many. I, I think in any sport, if you've got 10 teams you even want to consider to going to the Olympics, uh, I don't think in any given year there should be more than that. Over a four-year period, you should have a pretty good idea who those uh, 10 teams could be or even eight. So I think it needs a whole overhaul, but um, we'll see. I'm not sure. I'm not overly confident that's going to happen, but uh, we're hopeful that it will. And I think even we look down to the juniors, they've got to start to introduce this uh, sport at that level. Because uh, if we don't have a mixed doubles component or a doubles, it could be men, it could be women at the junior level. How do we expect this to gain traction as these people become adult curlers? So that's my quick thoughts. What do you think, Evan? It's a matter of, I think, you know, having the best players play mixed doubles on an ongoing basis. So how do we do that? Well, I think you have to have more events, mixed doubles events, but they could be shoulder programming onto uh, four-person events. For now, four-person events are, are going to get to best players because there's more sponsorship dollars put into four-person curling in Canada right now. So you need to worry about that first. Now, how do we get mixed doubles events going well? Probably starting just before big four-person events. It could be Grand Slams or your big tour events or or uh, Curling Canada events and have them before or just after. And that way the travel is cut down for the athletes. I do understand the amount of time off, but if you want to try to be good at both, you need to play both. And um, it, it's going to be a bit of a juggling situation for, uh, for teams to try to figure out, okay, I want to be real good at mixed doubles. But as the game grows, you need to play a lot. And in order to get the point system proper, these teams do need to have a lot of weekends and a lot of points uh, awarded to them to be able to to go up the ranks. So, you know, that's what I see the problem is right now, at least from the high performance end of it, is getting these top players in our country playing enough mixed doubles so that they can succeed on the international level. Now, to your point of, of young kids, Warren, coming up and playing, um, I, I think mixed doubles is a wonderful game for kids. Throw the rock, jump up, sweep like crazy, sweat, get down, go through another one and sweep and jump up and run. And it's a great game for kids. So I can't imagine how it wouldn't be popular if we just introduce young people to it a little bit sooner. Can we give Curling Canada a break here trying to organize all this, Kev? Or do they need to get their ass in gear? 
Well, I don't think we're being hard on anybody. Actually, it's just it's just the way it is right now. And, and everybody needs to get there. To you just said your ass in gear. Everybody's got to get busy and, and try to get this organized. And uh, because obviously with with uh, everything that's happened here, we can see the lack of organization. It's been clear the last couple of weeks, especially. And uh, but that's OK. You know, we, we COVID kind of brought this stuff to the forefront. OK, that's fine. But going forward, the next four years, I think we uh, we need to put a, a good solid effort in and trying to to make this all occur. I think four persons has become very much a world operation when it comes to these major events and mixed doubles need to needs to as well. So you do have events happening throughout the year that is going to attract the best in the world. And I think that's essential for this whole thing to blossom the way it needs to as we proceed. Okay, uh, let's move along to our mailbag segment. It's brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost. Convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. Uh, let's kick things off with an email from Colin Chan that says uh, he's, re- he's reacting to another email we had. Nick's suggestion for splitting the time limits between the first and second half of competitive games led me to this thought. Why not change the hammer to start the first and second halves of the games? Alternation, he's saying, happens. So what, what does this mean, Warren, first of all? Well, he's simply suggesting that uh, at the start of the game, you have a choice. You can have the last rock in the first end or the sixth end, but you can't have it in both. Otherwise, the balance of the game would play under the normal progress of whoever scores gives up the hammer. So he's suggesting, regardless of what happens in the fifth end, that um, the player who ha- or the team who has not had the last rock in the first will now have it in the sixth. Interesting idea. Kevin, what do you think of it? Yeah, basically turning the game into two halves. Not an impossible idea. Um, It's certainly different than what curling has ever been. You don't really think of curling as two halves. You think of it more as eight or ten individual games um, that link together. So, so, you know, it's hard to argue with it being ridiculous because it's such a huge advantage to have hammer in the first end now that that would alleviate some of that, having a a hammer to start the one half versus the other, be it in a 10 end game or an eight end game. So, you know what, it's, uh, it's definitely food for thought and not, not ridiculous in my mind. It's just way different um, for our sports. This is something that our sports never really thought about is, is playing in, like two halves. And that's really what, what they're saying. And it was Nick Saturnino actually from Anuvik that he's referring to. So great, great discussion. Um, and it would just, it would alter the strategy somewhat also in the third and fourth ends. Um, and I'm not sure if that's a bad thing either. It's, it's definitely a, an interesting idea. I'm not dead against it. Should they, Kevin, adjust or, or change uh, these blank ends where you keep the hammer then? What, what do you say? Yeah, well, it's going to be a lot of singles then, and and uh, the team without Last Rock obviously will be playing complete defense. You're never going to see hardly a center guard ever thrown. So I'm not sure that's the answer, Jimmy, because it'll just it just puts the defensive play on the other side of the sheet. So I'm, I'm not sure it it alters much. That that one I never really have have been behind um, because it just it's just going to cause the other team to not be offensive. So I don't I don't think that makes a a whole bunch of uh, sense that one. But this, but this, this one, idea, it'd be interesting to try just just to see what what happens because I'm with you. I I'm, I've thought of it before, but maybe it might be enough to change uh, the predictability of what's going on to some degree. Who knows? It never hurts to try stuff. 
you know, you have events and you try certain things and see how it pans out. There's, yeah, trying new ideas is never a bad idea because you never know what might happen. And sometimes you think some idea is going to work out great and you actually put it into play and it, oh boy, what a bad idea. So, you know, you never know and it certainly doesn't hurt to try. Okay, lots to chew on, as they say. Uh, another email uh, from Matt. He says, I don't think I've heard this suggestion before, but I think there should be three Team Canadas every year. Call them Canada Gold, Silver, Bronze, and invite all the teams that medaled in the previous year. This will ensure that we have top teams every year and will allow new teams from those provinces to be invited in future years. It would help with the balance of elite teams and regional representation. An easy 18-team tournament would be three Team Canadas, 10 provinces, plus Northern Ontario, three territories, and one wild card. I don't know, Kev. Well, we need, your, we need both your thoughts on this. Warren, you go first. Well, I, I agree somewhat, but not, not totally. I, I don't think we want to get into a situation where we're inviting three teams back because of what they have done in the previous year. I think uh, most events, if they invite the defending champion back, that's pretty much uh, where the line gets drawn. But I think the way curling is moving these days, you have to take the current year record into consideration whenever you're going to do anything of this nature. And I'm even of the opinion that the, the Team Canada thing should probably disappear. I like the 18-team thing because that kind of gives us the best of both worlds at the moment. For those that are dead set in the fact that we have to have every province and territory represented, well, with 18 teams, we can still do that. And within those 14 provinces and territories, there's probably going to be at least four of the top ranks are going to get through, maybe five. But then if we take 15, 16, 17, and 18 and make those the next four highest ranks who aren't already in a competition, I think we're now insured of having at least eight of the best in the country uh, in that playoff. And I think that that makes more sense than what we're doing now. My thoughts on it. What do you think, Kevin? Well, yes. And, and as the game continues to evolve and you get, you know, something like a World Cup type events going, uh, maybe four of them or six of them, whatever the case may be, along with all the Grand Slam events and other big events, it, the, the schedule becomes so busy for the, for the big teams. Well, this would be one way where they can maybe not have to do this provincial stuff but yet still be in the national championship where Canada needs them. Like we have to have our best teams, but these teams, um, as they grow and become more businesslike and busier and around the world, maybe they don't have to worry about that provincial thing and they just don't have to do that. They only have to burn up one week to do a national championship then that is the week of the national championship. So this would be a way to start in that direction because right now you block so much of the calendar when the national championship takes up two weekends and you, and you burn up another, well, this, this year in, in Alberta, uh, the, the teams had to practice on Sunday. And uh, so actually two weekends burned up at provincials, four weeks of marketing time for a team. Uh, I don't see that going forward as being uh, something that's going to work. So that could this could actually help with that, making sure that our our big dogs don't have to burn up a bunch of extra weekends um, for basically no reason. And if they can get into the national championship where they belong, um, just because of the level of team that they are, that helps. I like the way you said that, Kev. That provincial thing. <laughs> well, when you're trying to consider the amount of time, Jim, for a top team that plays, oh, I don't know what, 12, 14, sometimes 16 weeks a year, and you've got to burn up two weekends on a level, like for somebody like Team Cooey when he was playing in that in the provincial, 
they didn't play a 10 end game to win it. Like, why are they there? It is just, it doesn't make any sense. They might as well just be in the national championship. Um, and that, that's an issue, I think, going forward as the game continues to evolve. Yeah, hopefully this is going to start to be a open and honest discussion somewhere in the near future. And I think everybody's got to uh, park their uh, ego at the door. And the way things have been for the last 85 years is the way we have to continue because we're still doing a lot of things today with both those events that can date back to 1927. And yes, the historic aspect of things are good, but times change, things evolve, and you have to evolve with the times. And uh the fact that uh, nobody is even prepared to discuss it in an open forum uh, is probably one of the biggest issues. Anyway, hopefully that's going to become uh, different as we move forward. Uh, there we go. Uh, piling through a bunch of emails. Insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks very much. And thank you to uh, Nestle Boost for uh, bringing you the mailbag segment. Coming up right now, stick around. Emma Miskew is going to join us. One of my favorite segments of the show, of course, is when we have a guest. It's called uh, In the House. And there we go. We got a guest coming on. It's brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga. And there's two stores in Ottawa, where our guest is from. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Rachel Holman's third uh, was Emma back in juniors, and the two have uh, enjoyed many successes. Uh, three Scotties titles, 11 Grand Slam victories, and an appearance at the Olympics in 2018. And some interesting things have happened for Emma in the last week. First, Rachel Holman was named to the Olympic mixed doubles team. And although the uh, Holman had been appointed by Curl Ontario to represent the province at the Scotties, the stipulation was... If Rachel was appointed to the mixed doubles team, then the Holman team would be replaced by Holly Duncan. That all happened, so the Holman team was out. But about two hours later, Curling Canada announced that it would go back to an 18-team Scotties, and now the Holman team would be back in as a wild card. I think we figured this out, Emma. Well, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So when did you find out all of this, Emma, that uh, what would be going down? Well, we found out an hour before the Ontario announcement for the um, conditional naming of being Team Ontario. And then it was kind of a almost a week in limbo, trying to waiting to see what would be happening. And we didn't know the mixed doubles announcement was taking a little bit longer than I think they were anticipating. I can't imagine how hard that would be just to name a team to go to the Olympics in a country that has as much talent as we do here. Um, so waiting for that and trying to figure out if we would be playing in the Scotties or if we wouldn't or if our, our season was essentially over, uh, we had no idea. So it's nice that everything's somewhat fallen into place. We're still hoping that nothing happens that shuts the Scotties down at this point. But uh, as of right now, we think it's going and we're excited that we get to play. Uh, have you guys practiced yet with this new team? 
Uh, not with the new team yet. We have a plan to do so, uh, but we are we were waiting to book any travel and everything until we knew for sure that everything was happening. <laughs> so we, we think everything's go ahead right now. So we've been making some plans, but with Joe and Sarah, I've obviously played with them for so long <laughs> now that uh, we've practiced together and had a lot of good training together. So I'm anxious to get out with Allie and uh, see how she's throwing and uh, we're excited. With COVID changing so fast uh, all the time, did you tell all your team, okay, down to your basement, lock the doors, you're not coming out for two weeks? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That seems to be what everyone's doing right now. It's the Omicron variant is spreading like wildfire. So I think for um, a lot of people I know who might have already had it are kind of in their safe zone right now because it seems like they've said you can't get it again for 90 days. But um, Joe, Sarah, and I have, we definitely, I know that we haven't had it. So uh, we're trying to be pretty careful, but everything's shut down. So there's not much you can do anyways. <laughs> uh, well, we want you to be there. So don't move. Stay in one spot yeah. for the next <laughs> month. <laughs> yes. uh, Kev, go ahead. Well, thank you, Emma, for coming on. I really appreciate it. But I've seen Joanne and, and Sarah practicing a lot um, in Edmonton um, at the Savile. Uh, for Allison and, and you, how, how far do you guys live apart? Is it quite a ways? She's in Toronto and I'm in Ottawa, so it's not that far, but it's probably about four and a half hours. Um, and it's not too far, but we haven't joined up together yet, uh, but we will be soon. Yeah, and then maybe a, a chance to f- maybe get the, the uh, Sarah and, and Joanne from the West flying out sort of maybe on the way to Thunder Bay. Is that kind of what you're thinking to have a training session? Uh, I guess it's, it's, it just sounds difficult to me. So, so I was just trying to get to a bottom of because it's, it's a really good team. Like your chances of, of getting into the final four looks good to me. But how are you, you going to be able to prepare? Uh, well, we have ice in Ottawa. We're really lucky here. Um, so yeah, we'll be doing some, some training here before we head out to Thunder Bay. I mean, getting to Thunder Bay isn't a direct flight from here. So we still have to do kind of a half day of travel through Toronto to get there. But, um, as far as I know right now, there isn't any ice in Toronto. So we're really lucky that we have ice here and it's kind of a private club at this point because it's shut down to anyone who's not uh, an athlete that's training for either the Scotties or the Olympics right now. So we're very lucky that we have the opportunity to get on the ice. Uh, so we're going to take advantage of that. Well, I'm going to ask you a bit of a pointed question. And I'm going to let uh, Warren come in, but just with, with Rachel, with, with kids and being in Alberta and, and, and you throwing your hat in the ring as a skip, which I thought makes a lot of sense. Sarah Wilkes, a fantastic third. Um, Joanne Courtney, um, probably fits into the second shoes better than lead shoes. It's kind of an exciting time. Have you thought about going into the next four years, um, at third or at skip, depending on what happens? It's just right away, as soon as I saw you're going to skip and it went kind of interesting, like all of a sudden I kind of tweaked my interest going, hmm, this. <laughs> This could be interesting. Um, at this point, I really love playing third. Um, I'm excited for the opportunity to try skip. I've only skipped from what I can remember one game. My dad says I've skipped two, but I don't remember the other one in juniors. <laughs> so I had the one game in, um, I think it was the Shorty Jenkins Classic where Rachel had a class and couldn't get there for the first game. And we played with three. Um, and that's the only experience I've had. Um, but we thought it would be easier than throwing someone new at skip who hasn't uh, seen any of us throw or know the type of strategy that we play to have me 
skipping and learn how one person throws and learn um, her tendencies as quickly as I can and thought that that would be the best approach. And then Sarah's seen me throw lots because we've trained together a lot. Um, so to have her in the house calling line on the last rock would be the best way to start. So this was just something we discussed and put together. Um, but that was just hoping that we get the best out of the time when we're missing our skip. And I have been playing with her since we were 11 years old. So it's been a very <laughs> long time. And <laughs> obviously um, it's that way for a reason because the shots that she makes are insane. So I am excited for the opportunity, but I really do love playing third. I, I, I love sweeping. Um, I love being a part of uh, the front end and going and being able to call line on important rocks. It's um, a very unique position that way. So as of now, there's no plans for that. Yes. So Emma, let's take a look back at uh, what's going on here, which is kind of interesting. So in Ontario, they announced your team to be eligible to represent Ontario, which under the circumstances made sense to everyone. But then there's a second caveat to the announcement that says, but if Rachel gets named to the mixed doubles team, then Team Holman is not going to the Scotties, but Team Duncan is. And I scratched my head of going, well, okay, so normally if one player has had to depart from the team for whatever reason, you're allowed a replacement before the team is disqualified. And so I'm still puzzled as to why this was done the way it was. Do you have any idea what this whole process was and wh why they made that announcement? We did follow up and ask, and the reasoning we got was Rachel, if she's not there, would be taking 25% of our CTRS points. Um, and then that with 25% less points, Team Duncan would be ahead of us. So that was the reasoning we got, and that because we didn't actually win the provincials, they had to appoint a team, which is something they really didn't wish to have to do two years in a row. Uh, that they could make the call as they wished. Um, so I, we were surprised and I think a lot of people were surprised mostly because you can't, this is a situation where Rachel's going to wear the maple leaf on her back and it's almost felt like a punishment uh, for something that should be so exciting and so amazing for her. Um, and it put her in a really tough spot. So um, that was unfortunate, but that was the call that they made. Um, where we were a little confused was that being named the Olympic team is something that's happening a little bit in advance. But as many pointed out, if someone gets sick a couple of days before the event, are you going to disqualify that team and send a brand new team because 25% of the points are gone? Well, probably not because it's only a couple of days before the event. So anyone could get sick or get injured or uh, just have anxiety over going and being in another bubble type environment or whatever the situation. And as long as three or four are there, nobody is questioning anything. Um, but because it was done in advance with the Olympic situation, they said it right away. So we just thought, one, it put Rachel in a tough spot, but it also put Team Duncan in a weird spot too, to be just waiting, seeing if Rachel was going to get named. And then for them, if a week before the event, someone got COVID, then all of a sudden, are they losing part of their points too? It just, and then does it go to the next team? So we just didn't really understand the thought process, but that is what they decided to do. And um, we're just glad that given this whole situation with provincial points being counted and when ours were canceled, that um, 
kind of pushed us out of that wildcard opportunity that Curling Canada did decide to do three wildcard teams. So now we're at 18 teams. I, I find it kind of interesting that that decision was made because I, for one, felt that that should have been decided to just go back with the, the old format a long time ago that they used last year, and that would have solved a lot of problems. But from my point of view, going forward, because this whole thing is so muddled these days with provinces, territories, wild cards, Team Canada, that possibly they should be looking at this 18-team thing ongoing and simply take the 14 provinces and territories and then the four top ranks. What do you think about all that? What's your thoughts about it? Yeah, I think that would be a good approach. I um, I know the wild card game uh, generates a lot of interest just because of the situation that is putting both teams in. It's a high-pressure situation. Um, and it is fun to watch when you're not the team in it. But um, I do agree that the field is better when you allow those top ranked teams because most of the top teams in the country come from three provinces so or three or four provinces. Um, and then there's some great talent in some of the other provinces as well, but you'll always get a top team that either has to play in a wildcard game or maybe they don't even get that opportunity. Like in Alberta right now, Team Scheidegger is definitely talented enough to play in the Scotties, but um, they didn't get in the, that top three wildcard. Um, but there's there's plenty of talent across the country and some of the talent doesn't get to play in the national championship while there's other provinces or territories where you just have to sign up any year, not even just the COVID year, just like it's a sign up and you get your automatic birth into the Scotties. So I do think it's seeing all the provinces represented um, is a unique situation. It's, it's a lot of people love that, but making sure that the top teams who have performed all year and earned those points also get the opportunity to showcase their skills and play for a national championship is important. Yeah, I think there is a need for a big discussion with all the parties involved with all this thing and try to figure out some way of moving forward that makes more sense than what's what's going on now. Because I think amongst other things, it's, it's very confusing to people who aren't on the inside. What's a wild card team? There was one, now there's three. Um, it just, uh, I think moving forward has to become clear. And I think they somehow have to figure out a way of better dealing with both sides of the equation if it's going to continue this way. Well, you know what, this segues nicely um, into talking to, uh, to Emma um, about the mixed doubles. Um, because we need, in my opinion, Canada needs to really spend a little bit more uh, time and, and emphasis on mixed doubles. So, Emma, you guys curl a ton. You always have for many, many years. Um, but how do how do we get our top curlers able to curl mixed doubles enough to be able to be successful on the international stage, but but still need to be able to curl enough with four person game, but you only have a certain amount of Gretzky's in, in, in your country. How do you see that happening? You know, we've talked about it before, some sort of sort of shoulder programming around big events where a mixed doubles event maybe happens before or after a big event because that way the top players are there. But I'd love to get your thoughts on this because it's just like, how do we do it? Because other countries are becoming so strong and we're being left in the dust a little bit. Yeah. And it's just within the last few years that the other the other top countries have now sent their top players to play mixed doubles. Whereas at the last Olympics, you didn't see a Bruce Mowat there or um, Oscar Erickson. They weren't playing. So um, they've definitely stepped up their game. Um, and I think I played my most mixed doubles events when it was tacked on to an event, a slam or 
a big tour event because it was easier just to stay another few days than have a full separate weekend trip uh, that took up a possible training weekend or that conflicted with a possible event we wanted to go into. So just staying where it started a Sunday evening and ran until a Tuesday, it's like, perfect, another two days on the road, no big deal, I'm already there. And I think that the reason they stopped doing that is because a lot of the players that are just playing mixed doubles didn't like the idea that the events were running a Monday, Tuesday, and they had to take the time off work when normally it would be running just over a course of a weekend. So I know that is the dilemma that they've come across, but I think if they did a bit of a combination of those two events, that would probably be best. Um, and then I would, cause Ryan and I, we, cause I play with Ryan Fry and we were very close to going into the Brantford last chance qualifier. And then when my team had to qualify for provincials, I opted at just making sure that I was training for that and I was ready for that instead. And I also, when we talked about it, we said, I don't think that we've played enough to feel confident that if we were to win the trials, and I mean, it's not impossible, I would be terrified going to the Olympics without having more experience um, on the strategy side and playing more games because that's how you learn the discipline and it's very different. So that was ultimately another reason why we decided we will play more in future years so that we have that confidence that if we were to win, we could do this. And we don't want to go and underperform um, on the Olympic stage because we haven't played enough. So uh, Emma, what is the secret? You guys should probably hold a a marriage course. What is the secret for you and Rachel being together for so long? I mean, we see teams break up all the time. And when when we hear about you, it is such an anomaly that you guys would be together for so long. What's the, what's the trick? What's the secret, Emma? Well, I think there's a lot of teams who as soon as there's something that doesn't work right away, just decide to call it quits and move on and try to, they think that the grass is greener on the other side. But I think what set us apart is that we've always decided that we were going to battle those difficult situations or those bad years or those really tough losses um, and learn together and push together and motivate each other. I think that's where we've just done something different than other people. We don't just call it quits as soon as something is tough or didn't work out. We battle through it together. And obviously there's always going to be tough losses and there's always going to be big wins, but being able to talk together and communicate and figure out where it needs to change um, and then just work on that instead of starting fresh, uh, we feel that's really important. And um, I think a lot of people would benefit from doing the same. Uh, Well said, Emma. Thanks very much for coming on. Best of luck to you uh, through all these trying times and and certainly uncertainty and a a bunch of questions. And when you get to Thunder Bay, you know, hopefully no one will get COVID on your team. But if two or three do, you should ask 10 other curlers to drive to Thunder Bay and be on standby. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They'll end up sending another team if it goes by that point rule. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Good, Good luck to you, Emma. Thanks a lot for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks a lot, Emma. Thanks, Emma. Okay, uh, time to move along. Warren and I are in rocking chairs, Kevin, and you're around the fire and you've opened your book. You're going to give us a story. It's brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing. We appreciate them. Your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. 
Kev, what do you got for us? What story this week? Because of the, the growth of curling, and, and uh, I just want to talk about uh, way back in the mid-90s and starting the West Edmonton Mall curling event that we had actually on the mall ice in, in, in Edmonton and going just kind of talk about a little bit how that happened and what it was was a guy that ran the you might have even been part of a couple of the golf events Jimmy the Ronald McDonald House Golf oh, Tour oh sure it was yeah. and yeah you would have played in a few of those events and they, the guy who organized those events was a guy by the name of Al Clouston and uh, that's how I got to know Al is playing in those events um, for you know raising money for Ronald McDonald House anyway so we were just sitting having a coffee one day when morning um i think it was before we went out golf it might have even been in jasper park and uh and i had I told him i had this idea of, of running uh, a big curling event but i didn't know where we were going to run it or anything like that and Elle said well let's just do it l runs had at that point been running lots of events lots of golf tournaments well let's just do it let's get together once we're done this golf tournament and let's let's put an idea together anyway we talked about a fellow by the name of gary hansen now gary hansen senior um was a really good curler in edmonton a really good friend of mine um quite a bit older than me but but a really good guy his son gary hansen um ran west edmonton mall well let's make it let's, let's make a meeting with with gary so okay so we went down went to the mall had a meeting with with gary and of course gary loving curling uh like his dad um he said, well, I love this idea. Yeah, let's put it together. We'll have the a, a big curling event on the ice at West Edmonton Mall. And so, all right, well, let's do this. So we're going to have it in November. So I went into the mall the previous one year earlier, and I sat and just had a coffee and, and made sure everything looked good in November because it has a big glass dome above it. I wanted to make sure the sun wasn't going to be a factor or anything. And so I sat there in the afternoon and, and the sun, the angle of it did not hit the ice. So I all right. Well, it doesn't look like the uh, the sun's going to be a problem. Okay. Well, this is good. So we continue to go down that path, and uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, this is kind of a unique arena setting, but it was arena, and we put in bleachers all around the bottom. We had about uh, Sean, I might remember, but around a thousand seats, maybe a little bit more, around the bottom, and then around the top, of course, the second level of the mall, we could have uh, private suites all around the top, great views from the top, and. And uh, I just had to trim some trees because, of course, around the mall, there's all the trees. We had to trim the trees. We could get good, good sight lines. And it was all black tie served uh, food and drinks around the, the rink. And, uh, and, and that was fantastic. But when we went to put the ice in, Tim Yo, a uh, really good ice maker, he's retired now, but a really good ice maker in the t at the time, uh, he was going to put in the ice for us. Well, that's great. So he went in a couple, three weeks early just to make sure the ice was good and flat. The, the cement at West Edmonton Mall is very domed, the cement. But if, of course, if you flood enough, you can have the ice be level, and that's what Tim needed it to be. So he went in there and made sure it was flat, talked to the ice makers. and But between the time when, when he was there to the time of the bond spiel, a different ice maker comes back from vacation or whatever and wants to do Tim you a favor and that's carve the ice down so it's only about a half inch of ice everywhere which means the dome is back well the dome's not good for curling <laughs> rocks are affected by gravity anyway so Tim puts in the foam thinking the ice is still flat he's not realizing that they've carved the ice out and trying to help him so you put foam around and tim goes to flood well it's white caps going to the corners oh no because you only have a certain amount of time to freeze ice before you got to curl so so if tim fills it up so that the the foam was actually full 
so we had to put a second row of foam on top. So now you're looking at eight inches of foam and, and just keeps dumping the water till we run out of time. And I remember we stayed at the um, Fastland Hotel in West Edmonton Mall, Sean and I, and, and early in the morning, we get a phone call. I'll never forget this. Kevin, we've got trouble. The ice isn't level and the, the monster is going to start in a few hours. And all of a sudden through, through the phone, I can hear, we ripped out one of the logos. <laughs> I go, what the hell? So I ripped down the mall to see what's going on. And the one end sheet, uh, it just wasn't enough time to freeze enough water. And so it was a, it was a wild sheet of ice and of course domed in the middle. So, uh, I forget who and who we were playing. It might have been Kerry Burtnick. I forget. I think Burtnick played Wernick in the final. And, uh, but it, what he had to do on the on sheet B, which is a pretty good sheet of ice, actually, other than it was domed in the middle. So you, you throw the guard and it gets to the top. And once it gets starting to go downhill to the house, you just had to just kind of like a putt when you're coming up over the hill down towards the hole. And then it would go and then, oh, man, it was so much fun because <laughs> you could hog a rock by 30 feet, of course, if you didn't get up over the dome, over the top. And but anyway, that was uh, that was the start of uh, of that event, and it went it went really well. The players were awesome about it, and uh, and then we had a, the second year when we did it again. It uh, it went a lot smoother. But what it was to everybody, I don't know if everybody's been to West Edmonton Mall that's listening to this or not, but it was a great uh, venue for curling because of two levels and, and sight lines and being able to enjoy the sport. We did it a second year there. And, uh, and then we brought in the wild Bill Hunter as a partner. And then L and Bill, because of conflict of interest, they were right. They bought me out of the company. But that's how the idea of arena curling started, um, which ends up uh, being the Grand Slam of curling, which I've talked about before. But um, a wild time, Jimmy, a wild time trying to get that event off the ground at West Edmonton Mall. Yeah, I think I was mentioning that. That's a great story. A couple of weeks ago, I said... You, you mean ice is unlevel? I said, doesn't water level itself? And and you guys, well, like, oh, but it was, no, it was no. too much unlevel. Like you can't freeze enough. Like in, in in X amount of time, you can only freeze so much water, or it won't freeze. And that was the problem. It was so on unlevel, especially uh, on the uh, the side of people that do know the mall, the side of the of the changing rooms. That side was really unlevel, so it, it took a it took a lot of water. And Timio did a heck of a job um, that first year to be able to have the event take place. And then, of course, the second year we did it there, it was it was really quite good. It went really well. Um, but uh, anyway, the first year went well too. It was just the players had to be very uh, very calm about it because <laughs> the uh, the ice domed at the top. Boy, you had to have a good touch to throw a guard because it's hard to have a guard stop when it's going downhill. Okay, well, there we go. Another show in the bag, as they say. Uh, great job, fellas. Inside Curling is reaching out to curling clubs all over the world and inviting you to contact us and ask us to set up a Zoom call uh, with myself, Kevin, and Warren to discuss anything you'd like. We've had a bunch of clubs do that. We've got another one coming up this week. Uh, please keep in mind we're doing it on a limited basis. Um, if you'd like uh, to consider that, let us know, and we'd uh, love to do one with your club. So uh, there we go, fellas. Big thank you to Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. They do all the great work on our Facebook page and, of course, our Facebook group. If you don't belong to our Facebook group, we invite you to join. During the last couple of weeks, we've signed up over 500 new people. Uh, I think we got 100 just yesterday at the time of recording here. If you're one of them, thanks a lot for joining. If you still aren't a member, we look forward to you signing up and joining in the conversation. 
or maybe just watching the conversation. There is a lot there. Again, you want to send us an email? InsideCurling at gmail.com. Warren, your book, is it moving ahead? Have you done some sales? Sticks and Stones is the name of it. Everything's moving on the book, Jim. Of course, it's the story of how curling became an Olympic medal sport. And uh, certainly invite anyone who has some interest to go to the website for the book, which is warrenhansenauthor.com. And I'd also like to announce that starting next week, when we do mailbag, if we read your email on the air, we will send you a code for a copy of the electronic version of Sticks and Stones. So look forward to hearing from you uh, over the weeks ahead. Good job, boys. Uh, another show in the, in the books. Kevin, uh, you and I better get the sunblock. We live here in Edmonton, okay, as I look outside. <laughs> Warren, uh, you go cover your tomato plants or whatever you got to do out there in the nice warm weather, okay? You're, you're bugging me that you live there right now. Winter is gone. <laughs> All right. No kidding. Okay, boys, take it easy. Uh, Kevin, thanks very much, and thanks very much, everyone, for listening. This has been Inside Curling. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.